Blog Talk Radio. Welcome. Today our topic is communication styles for impact and training in the law firm. Joining us today is Christine Sexter, an award-winning consultant and popular speaker in HR excellence. Her topics such as recruiting, developing, and retaining top talent serve clients in the legal, healthcare, hospitality, and manufacturing industries. Welcome, Christine. Well, thank you, Julie. It's an honor to be here today. It's great to have you. First off, you know, please define for us the various communication styles most prevalent in law firms. Well, truly it boils down to two very simple styles that are prevalent in law firms. One is more of the traditional communication style, which let's just call that a hierarchical form of communication. Mm -hmm. Similar to a pyramidal approach to leadership, information is pushed down typically on an as-need-to-know basis, that there is intra-team information that may or may not be shared to other teams or departments within the firm. And often those who are newly tenured or are in entry-level roles typically don't receive that much information um, from people in executive roles or even mid-level management roles. That, however, is quickly becoming passe, as it has been shown that law firms that have this other form of leadership and communication style are indeed more productive and profitable. And just for today's sake, let's just call that more of a transparent form of communication style. And I'd even like to call it a communication culture. And this is where it is a flat, across-the-board, open and transparent approach to communication within the firm itself. Now, what allowed this transition to happen was, again, um, due to things such as generational differences, younger people entering the workplace, people having uh, the desire to hire better and better, more talented individuals to their firm, they realize they can draw a straight line, Julie, from being a transparent and open communication culture to their productivity and profitability. Ah, and we love those words, productivity and profitability. Well, it certainly is one where the numbers show that that works. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's a nice segue into my next question. Why study communication styles? Well, inside of the law firm certainly are a series of individuals, and each one of us and they have our own preferred or what I call default communication style. Mm-hmm. It's in many ways related to maybe some assessments people who are listening have taken. Maybe Myers-Briggs uh, could be something like DISC. Maybe some have taken what's known as the colors or the animals. But essentially, each of us as individuals that left to our own devices, left to our own default preferred approach to communicating, we tend to initiate our communications from a people-focused results or task-focused results. And once we understand what our own style is, then we can begin to adapt to others. Okay. So that's a nice segue into my next question. What are the benefits knowing your own communication style and preferences? Well, once you recognize your own natural tendency in terms of your communication preferences, uh, you then can begin to better lead and inspire and motivate others. Let me give you an example. I uh, was born and raised on the East Coast of the United States in a family that was very overachieving, very results-driven. Everything was about being your best, achieving your best. Because of both that and I'm sure some innate sense, kind of the nature-nurture combination, 
I have a communication style that focuses more on achieving tasks and getting tangible metrics-based results. When I took my first job out of college, I thought everyone was like me. I thought everybody spoke fast like me, wanted results right now, uh, and everything was about hitting the goal and getting the job done. My secondary communication style, almost way back there, was how do people feel about this? Is there good team building and collaboration? It was only when I learned and recognized that my communication emanates from a standpoint of getting results was I then able to begin to become a far more effective leader by adapting to the needs of others, whether they're task-focused or people and relationship-focused. And that's when my career took off. Yeah, so that brings us into what about coworkers and family members that you just touched on. And knowing well, it's funny, I, 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 uh, I use my approach to communication styles even with my 13-year-old son on a daily basis. <laughs> uh, is he aware of this? <laughs> is he aware of this? He is now. I've, um, as he's gotten older from a cognitive development standpoint, he's, I've actually taught him what I teach my audiences and classes and, and clients is that you have to first understand yourself as a means to begin to understand, collaborate, mentor, lead, and inspire others. And interestingly enough, both my son and my husband have an opposite communication style from me. So when I'm speaking with them, and particularly when I want something or I want to motivate them to do something, um, I will speak in their language to put it in easy-to-understand terms. So I begin to speak their language of the benefit to you, son, in completing your homework on time is that you'll be able to spend more time with your friends and doing things of your choice and maybe going spending more time playing with that team of friends of yours. So rather than me pushing him from, you better get this homework done so you can get A's because that results in your ability to have a better career. Oh, no, because he's results and people-oriented communicator. Talk from the benefit of how completing a task affects his relationships. Now, the same with coworkers, even more so. Um, back to my own example, again, first in my first job, not understanding that every, not everyone was like me. Uh, it was only when I began to understand that I have to speak in terms of what's in it for them or what's in it for that other person to consider adapting to the changes maybe I'm asking them to do, to consider maybe working overtime, to ask them to participate in something maybe they wouldn't want to, or even to inspire them to do things they would love. Talk in terms of how they would like to see the results, not so much from my own. So it's very important in modern communication and leadership that we don't lead from a standpoint of who we are and who, what our preferences are, but what is it going to take to move this group of people to meet the strategic business goals of that firm? So specifically, back in the law firm environment, have you seen generational differences in what motivates people to do their best work? It's not just in law firms, Julia. I'm seeing it. You see it everywhere. Um, and it's not just an American phenomenon. We see generational differences happening all over the world, even in third world countries, primarily driven by technology and the advent of technology being brought uh. into our daily lives. Let me give you an example. Um, baby boomers, those typically born, we say, 1946 to 1964. These were the workaholics. These, this was a generation of people who um, lived within abundance. Their parents were the Depression era or the traditionalist or the veteran generation where they lived with scarcity. And suddenly within one short generation, 
uh, baby boomers um, were entering the workplace in record numbers. Women entered the workplace in record numbers, and they lived to work. Lived to work. These were the this was the generation that if their boss asked them to work 80 hours a week, they did it. Um, no questions now asked. For, in, again, I'm stereotyping here, but with yeah. fair generalization, yes. This mm-hmm. generation also, because of that, they had some fallout, but uh, had the highest divorce rate. Mm-hmm. Um, they produced latchkey kids because they were at work, et cetera, et cetera. They were very good communicators. This was a generation that asked for what they wanted, whether it be you know, the civil rights movement or women's liberation or anything they wanted in the workplace. They, they felt as though... Um, we could ask and do it kind of in a hierarchical manner. You know, hierarchy was still very important back then. Mm-hmm. Now, what's happened now is that um, bring in two generations later, the millennials, those born between 1981 and 2000, completely the opposite. They work to live. It's an ends to means. It is not the primary focus of their life. And they communicate in a vastly different way than people born in between 46 and 64. Millennials again, brought huge amounts of technology and electronics into the workplace. Many of us have even seen examples where we're sitting right next to someone, whether it be in a cubicle environment or even a private office environment, and we're texting. They're texting each other. Oh, sure. Yeah. Why not get up and go and have a face-to-face conversation? Well, this is, seems simpler. This is faster. But it, many of us that are a little bit older are wishing that we could maybe instill a little bit more of the verbal communication exchanges. So um, what motivates these two generations to do their best work essentially is, you know, millennials want to feel valued and they want to know that their contribution is of importance and they want to hear that often. Um, Many people say that millennials are high maintenance. They want to know every day, how am I doing? Am I doing okay? Do you like me? Is my job okay? Is my work okay? Um, Where the baby boomers, if they, you know, they heard from their boss once a year, that was okay. So we're seeing a dramatic change in the, deep, aching necessity between generations for how much information they want and how they want it delivered. And only those savvy leaders who understand that they are dealing with generational differences will then adapt. So we've got the communication styles impacting us, we've got generational issues impacting us, all of that becoming really relevant to how we communicate at work. So that moves us to how can business of law leaders use communication strategies to motivate staff? Take it in the motivation field. Well, the top five reasons for turnover mm-hmm. in all industries across all socioeconomic lines in the United States can all in many ways be drawn back to lack of communication, lack of a positive communicative relationship with an immediate supervisor, lack of verbal appreciation for work, lack of clearly defined expectations and accountabilities. All of these relate right back to whether or not someone's immediate supervisor or manager has the onboarded communication skills to avert those reasons for turnover. So not only does communication impact how you motivate them and engage them, but whether or not they'll even stay with your firm. So communication has an impact on engagement, which is, whether or not they love your firm, they love their job, and they're willing to go the extra mile through whether or not they will make employee ref- an employee referral of their friends to come to work there, and ultimately whether or not you have turnover. And all of those have a dramatic impact 
on productivity and absolutely on profitability. Absolutely. So motivating of staff, again, the younger they are, the more that you need to be feeding them information, keeping them in the loop, keeping them in an open, transparent, communicative environment. You know, employees of all ages, frankly, you know, no news is no longer good news. No news is where imaginations begin to run kind of wild. And oftentimes what your employees think is happening is far worse than the reality. So when you even start looking at how do you manage communication in tough times, such as maybe the executive teams decided to downsize or even file bankruptcy, how do you communicate that to your staff? Right now, I'm saying that the, the companies that do it well, they over-communicate. And in my opinion, you cannot over-communicate. Over-communicate. When can you use, like, in-person communication versus email or other electronic options? You know, adult learners learn many different ways. We learn by visual, seeing a video or reading a memo or an email. We learn from auditory, someone talking in front of us. But we also learn from a kinesthetic or doing, is engaging and interacting maybe in a meeting. I suggest that you use all forms of communication in a law firm. However, the real, real kind of standard that I I would share with you today is if it's important, it's in person. If it's important, it's in person. Email and certainly texting or letter is never a a very wise choice for someone to use if the information you're wanting to convey is important to you and or that person. Sounds like good advice. It's time to get back to the – I'm sorry? It it sounds like great advice, yeah. Now, when it comes to motivation, isn't a big fat cash bonus or year-end salary increase really the key driver and key motivator? Wouldn't you – everybody would say yes to that. At for a short period of time. Studies have indicated that we're motivated more intrinsically, which means things that are important to each of us as individuals is what will motivate us to do things. And once somebody in general, this is speaking in general, has enough money and feels enough stability in their role and in their job that they can at least be paying their bills and not feeling that panic sense of survival, then they kind of elevate out of that lower region of motivation where money is an issue into things that are more, far more intrinsic, such as appreciation, collaboration, sense of belonging, sense of contribution. It's classic Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. On the bottom are just the basic needs to stay alive. So, for example, if you have someone working for you that is barely able to pay her bills, Colder children, buy diapers, and put gas in her car, in most cases is not going to be motivated by things such as recognition, um, gift cards, because she is still at that bottom level where, yes, every dollar does count, which is why it's important to get our employees out of the poverty line, if they're the primary breadwinners, and into these higher level non-monetary forms of recognition that work. And the number one piece of recognition that goes the longest for the least amount of money is well-communicated verbal recognition that is specific and genuine and is delivered quickly. So no, money, once it's passed, just the basic needs to 
sustain the basics of life and you move into the higher levels of things that motivate us as humans, money falls off the charts, particularly in turnover. Um, it's not even in the top ten once somebody is able to at least be making the minimum amount of money it takes to keep themselves inside of their home and clothed. Ah. Let's switch to training. Why should we learn about being a phenomenally effective trainer and communicator? I can draw a straight line from organizations that have a vibrant and evolving communication processes um, where the leadership is actively involved and they inform their organization about the realities of the business and they genuinely care about kind of like the company's role in the world and then they themselves are passionately engaged so they engage their employees. Um, These people are oftentimes the best communicators and motivators because they clearly kind of communicate the vision and the mission and the values and the goals and it creates an environment for everyone to kind of come alive and understand that we're not just representing clients um, in their challenges that they face from a legal standpoint. No, we're changing lives. And we're doing things that without us, maybe in our pro bono work, that we could never do um, without having this opportunity to do it within our law firm. But it stems from the leadership being, living their values through communication. Um, Let's explore the the recent um, top 100 best employers to work for in the United States. Of those 104 this year are law firms. And when you start to really drill down into what, is common with these four law firms that are on this list this year and why they have people lining up outside their doors to work for them, really with little or no proactive recruiting approaches. It's their simple employment brand that's driving this people to come want to work for them is the fact that they have oftentimes very transparent communication cultures where information is widely shared about the performance of the firm, about the goals of the firm, they celebrate successes, and they even work via communication on setbacks. For example, without mentioning the firm's name, one of them on the list this year does something called the 10-minute daily docket, where everyone in the company comes together every morning to discuss updates, and they're always focusing on the organizational values and standards of excellence. And And this is the entire firm. There's 1,200 employees. This is a large firm. Wow. And they're saying that this type of regular communication has created an incredible amount of confidence in the company's leadership, that even 92% of those 1,250 employees are reporting that management has a clear view of the organization and is constantly communicating it to all the employees. And the employees say that their leadership is competent, honest, and ethical. And I will quote someone who said that you never have to guess about what's going on in this firm nor do you have to wonder what information is management-basing decisions. That, Julie, is money. And that's open, transparent communication. Yes. Now, can you give us an example of how one of your clients overcame a major communication challenge? Well, I'll talk about somebody who was in one of my audiences at at an ALA event. It was in Denver for Region 4. Sure. And I was facilitating a session on the top six most effective interview questions ever asked by a recruiter. And I go into some depth about um, the communication styles in an interview and how, again, what, are, what is your default communication style and how can you quickly learn 
what the default communication style is of the candidate or applicant, and thus how to take the interview in a direction that will best allow you to quickly discern if this is your next rock star employee. Mm-hmm. Utilizing that information, I got a letter back from someone out of Region 4 who said that when you spoke about communication styles and how I can adapt to them as a means for them to remain comfortable and trusting and we can quickly get down to determining whether or not we're a good match for one another. She said she had a phenomenal amount of success with that and was even applauded by her manager for really improving on her interviewing skills. Wow. So even your communication style can find its way into how we interview. On the flip side, I've also... How we... There was a... VP of a Fortune 50 company, and again, I won't say who it is, and mm-hmm. he was great one-on-one, but when he had to stand up and speak before the board, the executive board of this organization, he really became very uncomfortable, was incredibly nervous about it, and utilizing just some, some simple strategies to help him understand um, what makes a great presentation that he was able to, in a very short period of time, be able to project confidence non-verbally, project confidence verbally, even was able to learn how to handle tough questions that maybe he didn't know the, the answers to. So becoming, from an individual standpoint, an effective communicator has profound impact on someone's career because as it's been purported, public speaking is the number one source of anxiety for most adults. And for those of us that can overcome that, whether just innately or through practice and training, we'll find that many doors will open for them in their career and in their personal lives. Well, with that, can you share one or two secrets of professional speakers as you're a professional speaker yourself? Well, certainly. I'd be honored. <laughs> the first one is one that no, that nobody should be surprised that it's prepare, prepare, prepare. Prepare. Excellent. Even as a professional speaker, as a professional trainer, we never, ever wing it. Never. Even in maybe presenting on a topic that we've presented maybe hundreds of times, Julie, we always will step back, even with a small note card, and build an outline that is relevant to that audience. And that's my second secret is know your audience. Just as when I speak to business of law leaders, I learn and really make an effort to understand what is their current greatest challenge and what is the current greatest achievement that they're celebrating so that my material will be adapted to to our listeners so that, that when they leave something, a presentation, a training session, a keynote, that they will carry with them at least one immediately implementable tool to solve a problem that they face at work. So prepare and know your audience. Excellent. Thank you, Christine. Before we conclude, would you leave us with one final thought that summarizes our discussion today? Before you can learn to communicate with others, understand who you are as a communicator. And from there, the world will open up to you through your career and in your personal life. 
Thank you. And that brings us to the end of our podcast. Thank you to our guest, Christine Sexter, for your expertise on essential communication styles and strategies. She will be speaking at ALA's upcoming annual conference in Toronto, May 19th to the 22nd. For more information, please visit Christine's website at christinesexter.com. And thanks, everyone, for joining us.